Hello and welcome to Kremlin's in the Basement Real Sports World Cup podcast powered by Gfinity. I'm John McKenzie, football editor of Real Sport, and I'm joined, as usual, by three Kremlin's in the basement. To my right, so many jokes, so many sneers, and all those oh so nears weighing down through the years. It's Alistair Puzzinelli. How you doing? Very well. Yeah? John. You seem quite happy this morning. I'm I'm quite content, yeah. Mm. Trying to uh keep it keep it under wraps, but I am um I slept very well last night. Next, the man who is now with child, having been miraculously impregnated by Harry Kane after last night's performance. Holly, <laughs> Steen, how are you doing? <laughs> Feeling a bit morning sick, to be honest. <laughs> Muzzle top. Thank you very much. Yeah. And finally, one of our foreign football correspondents, unfortunately, though, an expert of a nation who are no longer in the World Cup, Thomas Hill Lopez Manchero. Did low, I get that right? Low blow. Yeah, but you did get it right. Um, I, I think I thought we were we were impressed with Callum Rice Coates as a, as a long name but I think you've you've really picked picked pipped him to the post there yeah it's hard to hard to top that many names probably <laughs> uh, we're here as always uh, to bring you great football content from our basement in an undisclosed location in London but before we begin a reminder that this podcast is available on iTunes and as a result the best thing you can do for us if you enjoy the podcast is to subscribe to us rate the podcast and review this helps us get greater exposure and it means more people can enjoy just how much football is coming home so if you could do that for us we would be extremely grateful and one final reminder a lot of the discussion we have on this podcast refers back to pieces that appear on our website and all this content can be found at www.realsport101.com well today i think it's only fitting that we talk about england i think we'll de dedicate the whole episode to england um, Alistair, you're cheesing away over there. Do you want to run through what happened in the game? What were your emotions? What, what happened? Can you, are you in a state to be able to do this, or do you think... Okay, I've still got a bit of a sore head, I must admit, and the sort of the whole 120 minutes plus penalties is a bit of a blur. And although it probably wasn't a great football match for what it was, for just pure emotion, there's not... I've never watched anything like it from an England fan point of view it's it's it feels like a once in a lifetime thing England have won on penalties for the first time ever at a World Cup because it is once in a lifetime I don't think it, this may not ever happen again and I'm actually I can live with that now this I've is seen, why, I've this seen is why I'm having extensive conversations with friends about how best to get to Russia for the semi-finals yeah. or for the quarter-finals we may never see this again I don't yeah. want to miss it you think winning a penalty shootout is that significant okay every time you go into a penalty shootout you like you can win or lose right yeah so if you get if they get into another scenario it could happen against sweden yeah. you just assume they're going to lose that oh penalty. yeah yeah but i wouldn't even mind it's got to say if we lost to sweden on penalties about all right i think it is, it's, 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 it's quite a big deal for england particularly I mean, england. I mean in terms of the history yeah but like for, for the history for the the means of progressing to the quarterfinal i think it was just the perfect way for us to make that step it just banished a lot of old demons it's reinforcing the idea that this is a new squad completely separate from from those in the past and it like the, the, the effect it's going to have on mentality like you cannot put that into words how important that the, is going to be i mean i agree but alistair is suggesting that if they do go into a penalty shootout next week this weekend they will lose that and then oh, yeah. presumably all those old demons are back like but the, the, my thought is I'm, me I'm mentally prepared for England if they were to get penalties okay, in the game okay that's a great standpoint other than the general law of averages type <laughs> we win therefore we must lose next what sort of logical basis do you have to say that England are going to lose the next penalty shootout if we if it comes down to that because we, we've just proven that penalties aren't a lottery and it, it, you can win them by yeah. 
a slice of luck, obviously, but by yeah. hard work and practice. And oh, Trippier but... said that in an interview. He was asked on the pitch after, how was it England have won their first penalty shootout ever? And he just mm. put to bed all that doubt and speculation about, oh, mentality, this, whatever, that. Practice. Practice makes perfect. That's, a, yeah. that's what it was. But we're England. <laughs> we don't do penalties. I'm not standing last, for this. Not, not today. Not last today. Last today was <laughs> um, yeah. Beyond penalty shootouts, which we can t- we'll come back to talk to in more detail. Um, did you feel as though England deserved to win overall off, off on the balance of play? We'll start with you, Tom. Yeah, I, I felt like it was it was so evenly balanced from the start. I think obviously the the Mina header came as a, a real hammer blow right at the end. Um, but really throughout there wasn't too much to choose between the sides although I would say that like Colombia really didn't didn't test Pickford at all um, apart from that one shot which he saved brilliantly and then the and then the Mina header I, re- I really didn't think they offered much they clearly set up in a way um, to sort of completely nullify um, England and so I, I wasn't I wasn't too surprised by the by the equaliser definitely definitely sad about it but uh, and yeah 30 minutes of 30 minutes more of football was pretty hard especially as my other team Spain went out on penalties so that was that was painful to watch I mean looking at the formation that they started off with and I, I have a couple of Colombian friends who were very very disappointed with the way that Colombia set up because they set up in a 4-3-3 they, they went with three defensive minded centre midfielders in Wilmar Barrios Carlos Sanchez and uh, Lerma on, the, on, on, on Barrios's other side and they basically went to defend they played for penalties in the end uh, obviously, when when the goal was scored by England, the penalty was scored in, in just after half time. Um, Colombia had to come out and do something, and, and this they did almost immediately. They switched to a three-five-two, um, brought on another out-and-out striker uh, alongside Falcao, uh, and and looked a little bit more dangerous, and then got their goal. Do you think that there's a that there's a danger for the Colombians that they they didn't really approach this game in the best way do you think that had they come out more attacking they would have actually caused England far more problems um, I, I think they would have I think there are strengths in that side like in, in Quintero Izquierdo is left on the bench in Falcao Cuadrado that they could have hurt England particularly on the break um, if they had gone with a more attacking lineup. I just think it was a little bit disappointing from, from Jose Peckerman to be so defensive but at the end of the day if they had gone through on penalties he would be standing there saying well the end justified the means and this we you know we had a plan and we executed it perfectly this is what we wanted so yeah and I think once once they switched to that wider um, system the 3-5-2 they caused a lot of problems Mm. coming down wide areas Um, obviously Ashley Young in that like the space behind Ashley Young is always a dangerous space and it was I thought it was a little bit strange that that wasn't um, exploited a little bit more in the first mm, half, and then I think, I think yeah. you have to pick out Harry Maguire in that situation. No, I think he did extremely well. He, he was one of the best performers I thought, and, and a majority of that was in having to defend wide and cover those spaces that Ashley Young left in behind him. Probably something he's not particularly familiar with playing as obviously a centre back. So I yeah. thought it was an impressive performance to do so from him. Do we think that England's defence have been tested though? Because I feel as though that you know there's been there's been occasions during the in- England games where their defense have looked very shaky I'm thinking to, uh, thinking back to that that point where I think it was Kyle Walker lost the ball on the halfway line oh, with and Quadrado went yeah, through Yeah, went through yeah, and, and they yeah well, well yeah they, and the ball was laid off to Quadrado and he and he fired it over um do we think that there is still questions to be asked of this England defense um, no yeah I I think so but as much as I think John me and you or everyone's talked about how much England have sort of failed to create and relied on set pieces and 
penalties to to get goals. If you flip it the other way around, defensively we've only conceded from penalties and corners. And yes, there have been individual errors, which is almost expected with our defence. They're not 100% reliable. But I think we can take take a lot of stock in the fact that yes, we may not play the weakest teams, but, but no one has unpicked the English defence. It's been individual errors in times if you go back to Carl Walker's swinging arm um, and a set piece last night I think considering we play I know we have five at the back considering we play quite an attacking team still with two roaming eight midfielders I think we can't I think it's quite impressive that we haven't been worked out no team has managed to negotiate or defense well, in that way arguably Colombia did work <coughs> us out last night they completely nullified the threat of the 3-8s Lingard and yep. Ali by playing three in midfield um, we were unable to break them down Henderson had a slightly off night. I thought he was good but not not, mm. not as great as he has been in the group stages and arguably that's down to their, their midfield nullifying his threat too and they had what two two corners I think it was they scored from one of them I think it was their first maybe of the game and you know what is that that, that has been worked out they obviously found a, a weakness in our ability to defend set plays Yerry Mina that was his third headed goal in as many consecutive World Cup games I think that's just a weakness on our part to not recognise his threat and to not defend against it properly so arguably we have already been worked out no but no, no I'm talking from open play that's what I'm referring to well we haven't managed to break a team down from open play exactly that was, that was my argument as in <laughs> I don't understand what you're trying to say. So I'm saying as much as England have had issues going forward, the other teams have had the same issues against England. So Why is it we haven't played anybody good enough to be able to break us down? I don't think you can say that anyone's had issues well, or we've, no one's figured out how to break us down. I just don't think well, they've been able to. And this, is good, this is kind of where the question was coming from. In, in The original question, which was, if Colombia had been more attacking, would they have caused England more problems? And I Probably. think given that they came out for the final 20 minutes of the game, and and really attacked. It did look it did look that way, and you and you kind of, uh, I, I suspect that part of the part of the issue with this World Cup is that no one really has known when to come out, when to defend. And to what extent do you feel as though England, because it felt like the game ebbed and flowed quite a bit yesterday, right? There was once once England England got the penalty, which we can talk about whether or not we think it's a penalty or not. I, I suspect that will just divide opinions. But they got the, the penalty out of nowhere, and then Colum the Colombians lost their heads. Um, and for the next 20 minutes, I feel the game was just stop-start. Um, there, there was, yeah, niggly fouls, uh, players going down, um, slowing the game down, breaking things up. The Colombians were getting in the referee's face, which clearly wasn't a good uh, move for them. And then in this, in the extra time, once the, the Colombians then came out, they got the goal. In the extra time, it felt as though Colombia were running away with it in the first half of extra time. And then it flipped a little bit, and England came out a little bit more strong in the second half. Do you think there's all game management issues with, with where, where England are, con are concerned? And do we think... A lot has been made of Gareth Southgate's managerial credentials this World Cup, but do we think that he managed the game well? I think he did, I think he did well on the whole. Um, uh, like I said, I just, I just think it's tricky when you've got two such evenly balanced sides, like whether to kind of stick and twist. I also feel like the absence of Hammers probably played a big part uh, in how Colombia played, potentially, just because I feel like maybe with a bit more of a controlling presence... In, in midfield like like Hammers, they might have tried to play a, a little bit of a ni nicer style of play mm. Does anyone I think I think we managed the game well I was impressed with how 
our players responded to Colombia's, if you like, dirty tactics with the ref. Um, I thought we managed it well in that sense. After we scored, we started slowing down play. We started breaking it up with little niggly fouls and kept the ball with, with easy possession, I suppose, around the midfield. Um, but it, it, from a tactical level, not not so much. Once they brought on Carlos Backer and they did make that formational change, I wasn't 100% convinced with how Southgate handled it because we well, were then on the back foot. Yeah, the mm. changes he made were he brought... Dyer off for Dyer well, off for Henderson, right? Which is a like for like swap. Is that not right? He brought Dyer off for Deli Ali, so they, uh, they right. played with a two man. So they, midfield so they switched from their the they switched from their midfield being a, a, a sort of diamond uh, a pyramid going forward to a, a sort of yeah a reverse pyramid with Lingard kind of at the peak. But right. I, I thought that made us look more vulnerable. If anything, Dyer didn't do what was expected of yeah, him. Yeah, but he, sure he, he, Dyer was brought on when we were one 0 up. He yeah, was yeah, the 86 minutes on for a specific reason to see he the didn't, game. He out. didn't f- fulfill that reason. Yeah, and then they. But you understand why he was brought on. Yeah, but so yeah, then, but yeah. he didn't. I don't. I don't think that was a. But as in, okay. But also, I understand why he was he brought on. The winning penalty. He was the first sub made in the 81st minute. Backer yeah. was brought on in the 62nd minute, and we'd been struggling for the and 20 minutes Lewis in Murray between. On, and they had three yeah. strikers on at one point. Yeah. Muriel came on in the 88th minute. They did have yeah. three strikers at one point in extra time. Yes, but my my point is, I don't think. Whether that change was recognised or not, I, obviously I don't know. I, I presume it was. I presume Southgate said, mm. no, I'm not going to act on it until this point. He, he has a reputation for sort of being a bit slow to react, I think. I, I just thought maybe that was a little bit of a Pochettino-esque yeah. stubbornness in refusing to change it when clearly we were struggling mm. from, yeah. from a new threat. I and I think as well, what we, when we're talking about a plan B here, it wasn't really a plan. Look, to, to, to just invert you, the pyramid in your midfield is not exactly like rocket science. Um, make your make your yeah your double pivot, single pivot a double pivot. It's mm. not... It's not he brought on Rashford and, and ended up sort of playing him in defence and he brought on Jamie Vardy basically like for like for, for Raheem Sterling. So I think for me the question is, is he just so married to this three five two system that he's just basically riding his luck and, and saying, well, we hope that, that this works out or or is there genuinely other ideas? The, the other thing that we, to be said at this point is the set-piece thing as well. A lot's been made of England's ability to... Uh, develop these set pieces that have been very dangerous but now it just looks a bit toothless like playing mm. the ball to the back post and Harry Maguire has only a, a certain amount of subtlety to it before everyone's just going to make sure that that doesn't happen on their corner routines they look great in the first few games against weaker oppositions but now everyone knows that Harry Kane hits the back post and usually arrives there unmarked if you can track him through the, through that movement etc Harry Kane has now had what three three penalties maybe two penalties awarded against him uh, uh, sorry in favour of him for fouls on him people try to nullify his threat with if you like like WWE moves literally <laughs> so I think you can still keep trying to take advantage of that but also if people might figure out that we're going to knock it to Harry Harry Maguire at the back post which has been happening frequently that will open up space if you double mark him that opens up well, space in the post, for example. Extra time. exactly my point exactly it will open up space in other parts of the box to take advantage of it's just mm, up no, to us to do you agree with the the, the point that that there needs to be a bit more tactical subtlety from, from Southgate I think so too but I don't it's hard to what's the alternative you're right he is so married to the system and you're saying yeah, it's an easy choice to make to throw on Dyer to see the game out but what I have no idea I don't see what where they are now what they could do well, I mean, you could contrast him with someone like Peckerman, who then changes his system up, and and then they look more dangerous. Hmm. Um, it doesn't feel like England have that. They have their system, and if it doesn't work, then they tweak the players in the system yeah. rather than having a plan B, which may, which I may th- be I fine. Think like, maybe plan B, and they did do it against Belgium, is go to a back four. But I don't think that will do much damage personally. I think we are 
a relatively one-dimensional team. And that's just the way it is. Yeah. I don't. I don't see a clear, clear option for England when times the get tough. Problem with that with this sort of argument though is like at the moment is everything's going well and oh Southgate's a, you know he's very intelligent he's, he's giving the players clarity he's got this one system it's working very well why change if it ain't broke don't fix it etc but the second we go out the second yeah. starts some, something starts going badly people will be asking well where was the plan B why have we not developed other systems and you know you can't have it both ways especially when, when you come out against Sweden Sweden win an early penalty score the goal and then sit back in two banks of four and, and are really hard to break down then then the question is asked like is the system good mm. enough and we've talked about Southgate before you know we've said that he relies on his system for creativity rather than players who are more creative to being able to make moments and stuff but I think yesterday was as, as good an example as why the, the system creating like those moments is, is problematic because I think in this particularly in extra time England didn't have a, a ball player who was good enough in the middle to slow the game down and control it and we know that that's the system is based around the fact that they don't have that player but when it comes to a scenario where you actually need someone to get a foot on the ball m move the ball around well and and help retain possession they just didn't have that so um what do you have any thoughts on this tom uh, i feel like it's only going to get worse against sweden that's the thing because as you as you mentioned there they're going to be playing you know even more defensively perhaps nick a goal on the counter and, and just just sit back and defend that um and that's really where like a lack of a plan b could could shine through i i still I, I do believe in this system i think it's i think it's worked okay up until now okay it wasn't like wasn't great yesterday i feel like there's there's potential to do well against against sweden definitely it's just whether or not how how defensively sweden set up because we saw you know how tricky uh, i mean you know different game but spain spain against russia you know russia knew what they were doing they just stuck to that game plan and like yeah. you know as much as people were bemoaning spain for you know possession for possession's sake and all that um it's just really hard to create chances against society does mm. that so and i think this is this has been the the big story of this world cup right is that the smaller clubs have realized that you can go a long way with a well-organized defense yeah. and it's changed the whole face of international football for me it's made the group stages really interesting that's one reason why the draw has ended up so lopsided mm. because teams have come out and defended against clubs who they usually would lose to quite comfortably even defending but they've because they're savvy enough to know what they're doing you're seeing teams like switzerland drawing with brazil things like that mm. so um in terms of the let's talk about the 352 that the, now a couple of teams have now adopted against england so it happened with tunisia in the in the opening game ha up until half time england looked dominant uh, tunisia switched to a 352 and england then started to struggle a little bit more uh, same thing happened yesterday with with Colombia switching to that three five two. Do you think there's any chance that Sweden might do the same? No. Yeah, I'm, I agree with you. I'm not convinced. Their four four two in my eyes is working very well at the moment. The analysis that Alex Scott did on ITV showed how how disciplined they are in that shape, and they're just so patient. Mm. They're like, you can have a ball, you can have a ball. We will we will nick it off you. We'll go out the other end and cause a threat. Um, and that's why I think Sweden are well equipped to deal with the English side I think Southgate hasn't hasn't visited a 3-4-3 yet in the system and I know it's it's one of the it's something they've got in their back pocket if they want to use it and I think if we could get Kane Sterling and Rashford all on the pitch at the same time and I'd, I th I'd imagine after playing 120 minutes Lingard's going to be a bit leggy so I think go for a two-man central midfield and, and three attackers 
and see what happens really yeah I mean, use yeah. our pace as well I don't think Sweden Sweden are quite a, a slow steady team and I think although it's unlikely we're going to get in behind them um, some some creative runs and those front three linking up could, could do some damage before we move on to talk about the Sweden match in particular uh, let's just have one section on the refereeing yesterday because uh, speaking as a neutral I thought the refereeing was quite poor um, I think the referee failed to control the game there was a few decisions that seemed a little bit too lenient which allowed the game to get out of hand a little bit uh, and I don't think I think the, the I, I do think the refereeing was, was actually probably it probably worked out in favour of England on balance um, but I don't think I don't think there's enough about it that Colombia should be complaining to, to FIFA about it what, do you, what, were you, what was anyone's thoughts on, on the referee? I was really disappointed with the refereeing. I mean, we it was Mark Geiger, his name is, I think. He's, he's been flagged up in the past this World Cup for being a referee that you should be a bit bit wary of it in terms of losing control of a game. And, and he did exactly that. There, there were a lot of tempers flaring, a lot of, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of fouls going on. I think <clears throat> there were eight yellow cards in total in the game. Um, but he, he just completely failed to, to keep a lid of it. There was no, like... No firm decision making either. You know, the penalty there was like three minutes of discussion after instead of pointing to the spot, waving protests away. He entertained them and listened when it, I thought it was a clear mm. penalty. The, there was the Barrios red card that could have been a red card, probably should have been a red card for the headbutt. But I, yeah, I was I was not impressed with that standard of refereeing. I, I feel like uh, obviously there was quite a lot of you know so-called dirty play from Colombia but I also feel like a lot of England fans are more than willing to like you know tolerate that when it's when it's them I mean yeah. we saw Stones was it stamp on or it looked look like stepping on someone um and I do yeah I do feel there's a bit of a, a double standard yeah there. I think you know there's, there's England players were diving as well and and on the commentary obviously that's sort of it's either justified by saying well there was enough contact there for him to go down or justified by saying well you know it's, it's smart intelligent play that's the way you play these days whereas on the, when the boot's on the other foot um, mm. it's, it's sort of called, called out I, I'm, I'm not I'm not annoyed at Colombian players for doing that sort of thing because it, I, I just think it's smart in, in them knowing that there's a referee that lets you get away with this sort yeah. of stuff mm. take advantage of it and I was not happy because I don't like seeing that sort of stuff in the game but it was clever from England to also take advantage of these things as well but it's just poor from the referee to not impose his own authority yeah. to let that spiral out of control well, in my eyes I don't think the decisions were that bad yeah he failed to control the players there was a lot of surrounding of the referee which I hate to see was the Barrios head bar a red card for me no it was close but no what's why, the why not the difference? Was it, it was just like I wouldn't I think it would have been a harsh call. I think that was a red card. I think John Stones should have been turned off. I think, Stones I think Wilmot Barrios later on jumped in two footed yeah, into a challenge. On the, on the yeah, yeah, that was, that was a, he should definitely yeah, have been sent yeah. off for that. Um I think it makes it difficult for Harry Maguire. I don't think it does make it difficult for the referee. Like if you look at it black and white, it's did he headbutt the guy with intent? Yes. Is there contact? Yes. They have VAR card. as well. If you, and yeah. it, you know, this that is was, the that big... was yellow carded on VAR. Yeah. I think on yeah. review. It, yeah. yeah, it was used. But it's, it's, you kind of think if, if if that sort of thing isn't going to get given, then yeah, it's, it's, it's like it wasn't a clear and obvious red card, so you can't give a red card. But how is that not clear and obvious? If he'd nutted him straight in the face, yeah. Okay, I understand what you're different. saying. He could have walked up to him and just <laughs> headbutted him straight up. He did. He did sort it of was an nut him in the face, like by, what, what, by what, the twice, chest. Twice, I might add as well. He goes in once at the chest and then making actions once again for the head. I, when I said it makes it difficult for the referee, I was talking about the game as a whole. When one team is just constantly just looking for those little fouls, cheap fouls to give away, 
just to break the game down for straight England it makes half the referee when does he draw the line to to show the other card the Colombians were appealing every decision yeah well that would have been his line drawn if he yeah, sent exactly. the guy off that if he is, wants to make a statement this, this he's going to be hard to sure it's a World Cup big game well, me, but then he shouldn't be refereeing at a World Cup if he's not 100% sure of himself know, to make that decision we already know about the quality of the referees in this World Cup and the fact that a few had been uh, oh, your argument your argument is self-defeating if he's not 100% sure enough to make that decision then he's not 100% sure of himself yeah. so he shouldn't be refereeing from yeah, but then I think doesn't that's that the, I think self-defeat that's the, the argument for VAR because you only go to VAR if you're not 100% self self um, this um, is a, this is an argument that, that I think we'll have to agree to disagree on let's talk quickly just about the penalty because for me I actually thought Harry Kane fouled before the, the foul came in afterwards um, and I actually think this affected the game I think the reason why the Colombians were so incensed was because they felt Having, they clearly had seen the replay. They felt that that Kane could have kind of pushes Carlos Sanchez down, and then Carlos Sanchez holds on to him to stop him going past. Uh, and then after that, twenty minutes uh, after that, the the Colombians sort of lost their head a lot, and it sort mm. of affected the game, allowed England to get into a game which they hadn't really been in. Neither team had been in, but yeah. it allowed them to get a little bit of dominance. So, did do did you think it was penalty? Yes or no? Yes. Yeah. 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 I won't have you speak ill of my hero. <laughs> um, I'm not going to lie, I haven't seen it back on replay, but my first thought was yes. Yeah, I, I think when you see the, when I saw the full replay, so starting from the, the first contact, I, I kind of thought it looked a little bit as though, it was one of those ones where, because the referee has given it, if it yeah. went to VAR, it would, the decision would say yeah, the same. If the referee hadn't given it and it went to VAR, it mm-hmm. wouldn't have been a penalty. Which so, I think is fine. Which is fine, yeah, it's probably in between the two. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, let's move on to talk about Sweden. So Alistair saying two-man midfield for Sweden uh, against Sweden, which I think is, is, is a good shout. You don't, need your, you don't need to load your midfield when you're going to be spending most of your game in possession trying to break down a mm-hmm. side. So you might as well get the width yeah. of the, of the front three. And when we lack a, like, a conventional number 10, Deli Ali probably won't be fit. He's the closest we have. And he's more of a, a goal-scoring number 10. Very, you all know more than me, Ollie, but very often do you see him play that killer pass or, or do something like that. He's not like a... I mean, he has that in his locker. Yeah. He plays so much further forward these days than he yeah. used to that I wouldn't even describe yeah. him as a number so, 10, so really. I, I would like to see England probably on the back of Eric Dyer's performance. I know he scored the penalty, but if, if Henderson's got in him, him to start and maybe play Loftus-Cheek alongside him. Does that not sound then like a really weak two-man midfield that can't really defend against the counter? None of them are defensively minded enough to be disciplined and, and get in positions to make interceptions. Both are going to press forwards. And, they, and then do you not think it would leave that back free quite know. exposed? We don't know. Possibly. But do you not think it's better suited than, than the 3-5-2? I mean... There's a good argument for it, but then who do you play in that three up front? I know you have Kane. You're not Sterling won't be dropped. I don't think he should be dropped. Mm-hmm. But in that two, you need someone more creative. If you've got two holding midfielders playing in a two-man midfield, you're gonna have you're gonna need someone in that front three that's gonna drop into the space between the lines and start picking out passes and True. be that creative person. We don't have that player yeah. in our squad really, other than Ali, who's not gonna start as he's mm-hmm. injured. You don't play Rashford there. Sterling can't do that job. So I, I, I can't see who you play. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a it's a tricky call um, I think you'd play Lingard if you were yeah you, that's you know, an option but I could, think he, he might be a bit you play leggy. him as an inside yeah he, mm. he may be I also think you could if if Ali is fit you would play him there but you could also you could also play Rashford as an inside forward as yeah. well um, but he's I, not someone that's going to drop in between lines and start creating chances I, don't, I, don't, I, don't I agree think but I don't that, think England yeah. have that player that, I think it will be more getting to the byline in this game yeah 
and I think that's why you want Sterling in a front three rather than mm. as a sort of mm. second striker. Second striker that he's been playing with, and he's been he's been playing that system for Manchester City, and he's been very good in that position. For Manchester City. I'm, I know I'll probably catch flat for this, but I still think that Sterling is England's second best player. Precisely. I mean, I thought Sterling was so generally or based on performances. Generally, so generally. But I also think yesterday he was a very, very important player uh, in so far as he it's dropped. His, it was his best game so yeah, far. Yeah, he dropped yeah. into he he dropped into those areas of space. He found the ball and and took a lot a lot of pressure off England going forward. So did everyone see the? I think it was the Daily Mail article slagging him off immediately <laughs> well, released after the game. It's just, it's just too easy, isn't it, for the Daily Mail? No, it was terrible. I was not impressed by that at I, all. I, I think it's Daily Mail. I do find it really weird though because like even in the pub where we were watching it at you know there were people you know booing any time Sterling missed or whatever like clearly really well like specifically him like it was it was quite obvious who who they were like targeting and it just it seems strange because I, I agree with you John I think he's on on balance he probably is England's second best player but it's clear that he's like suffering from a little bit of a lack of confidence yeah. I mean what's the stat that he hasn't scored for England since 2014 or something yeah, like that it's 42 games thousand yeah, yeah. Days, that was the yeah yeah so was two, two goals in 42 games yeah so like a goal a goal would just really like boost his confidence obviously yeah I think I think that's true so so say that say that you adopt the the, the three five two that you're advocating Ollie who would you play in 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 that formation you keep it the same and um, the only changes I would make I would keep Henderson in there because I think he's he's, he's got a better passing range than Dyer mm-hmm. and that is going to be important against a low block. Um, Ali to me didn't look fit. I know he he might be on the receiving end of criticism, but he did do a lot of defensive work and I thought he actually did play well before he got substituted. But he's he, I don't think he's fit. So I bring in Loftus Cheek, Im- important aggressive forward run, someone that's going to pick up the ball and drive it next to Lingard. Good balance of, of playing styles there. Um, and I'd bring on Rose for Young. I think it's a, important to have a natural left footer if we're going to want get crosses mm. in. It just it's quicker, saves him having to cut in back onto his yeah, right, offers him more natural width. And Young just I don't know, he's a little bit of a liability for me. And he looked mm. tired. Yeah, R- Rose was also really good when he when he came on. Mm. I thought. I mean, yeah, he had that he had that chance, which was mm. like the yes, same close. yes, he did. I remember. Rose, is also, hands. Rose yeah. is also looking sharper. I think just in terms of his movement, even off the ball, than he has done for for the majority of last season I think so he's clearly getting back to sort of match fitness so I think that will come into come into it would you what would changes would you make for the for the team would you stick with 3-5-2 and yeah I, th- I think so I mean um, uh, like Ollie was saying I think introducing Rose would be would be helpful um, definitely I just I think I think it is going to be so difficult difficult against Sweden I feel like it might be the sort of game where you start with 3-5-2 and then potentially react as we said has like Southgate got that in his locker but yeah. I feel like it is it is one of those ones where we need to see what they're what they're doing first before we can change. I mean, let's not forget as well that three five two is is only a, an extra midfielder away from a three four three that Al, that Alice is saying. If you play someone, if you played the the inverted pyramid that we were talking about with the double pivot rather than the single pivot, even if you have Ruben Loftus Cheek in there as more of a ball carrier. Um, all it takes then is for Lingard to sort of push out into into mm. yeah. into a wider area, and I you've agree. got the same yeah. got the same formation. So maybe they just it naturally progresses mm-hmm. into that formation. Yeah. Having Loftus Cheek there makes that tactical switch a lot easier and a lot more seamless, rather than having to swap around personnel. Yeah. It's it's as you say, it's simply a matter of Lingard just pushing up. Yeah, and I think you know Loftus Cheek is that ball carrier that you need. He is the sort of classic mm-hmm. number eight who, in a game where actually the majority of the time. 
yeah, you're not going to be counter-attacking. I think it's important to have one of those two players actually a bit more of a ball carrier so that he can drop back and defend, but he can then help transition the ball quickly when in, in those rare opportunities, I think, when Sweden have, have stretched themselves for the counter-attack. So... Um, I, th- and I think I think I would actually even maybe prefer him to Ali in that scenario, but that that's a, that's another question. Um, let's just round up by going through predictions. Unless anyone else have any, anything else they want to say about Sweden? Can we? Yeah, can we talk about a bit more about the Swedes? Yeah. as as a side, um, we know sort of how they're going to play, and there isn't that great attacking threat in their team. I think only two two players outside of their defence and own goals have have scored this tournament. Marcus Berg doesn't look like he could score an open goal at the moment um, I think he's been rotting away in Abu Dhabi and I think it's clear to see Ola Toivonen has looked bright um, he's not a conventional striker he likes to pick up in the space and I think going forward for Sweden on that counter attack he, he's the key um, if we can get one of our defenders or Henderson tight to him shut him down then it'd be fine Forsberg got his goal um, against Switzerland but he's had a flat tournament by his standards I think he's He's faded after his, not the last season, but the season before at Leipzig when he was, he had a really special campaign. That's the thing. You feel like Sweden, if Sweden were to win the game, it wouldn't be through their own doing. I think England could could hand it to them. As long as we keep our discipline, don't get carried away because we are going to have a lot of ball in this game. And um, yeah, make sure we still have numbers at the back. Don't get sucked into the attacks. I think, yeah, that is the important part is having numbers at the back at times I, I disagree with you in the sense that I think Sweden could win this game off their own initiative they do have certain plays and a certain way of playing that, that will make it difficult um, against England but it will be coupled with lapses in English concentration I think like they, they play very direct a lot of the time um, balls into Ola Toivonen and, and Marcus Berg looking to win the second ball and, and get numbers in the box like that but it, it's going to take a lot of reading the situation and being aware of who's lurking around the box who's at the edge of the area and closing them down quickly because they mm. like to look for that cutback as well if they yeah. get into wide areas and that's how Forsberg scored the winner against Switzerland so it's more a matter of just saying switched on at the back and looking out for these these certain things I think mm. yeah I, 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 I personally I don't think everyone is coming out and saying I think England are going to struggle in this game I don't think England are going to struggle in this game I think they're going to win quite comfortably um, it's the sort of game that that is fairly well suited to, to England in many respects. Um, I think a lot of people are trying to just cover their backs so that when they when they win two nil, whatever it will be, they'll be like, well, you know, that was a really tough game, really. England well deserved to be in the semi-finals, um, which may well be the case, but I think a lot of it is psychological. So I I don't anticipate um, Sweden to be hugely problematic. I think it will be a I, I, I suspect it'll be a really sort of gritty game I suspect England will score from a set piece or a penalty and then Sweden will have to go for it and England will pick a goal up um, towards the end that's my prediction what's your prediction? Um, I think England are going to win 2-0 same sort of same yeah same sort of argument behind that yeah I'll say 2-1 England because I, I do think the Swedes obviously lack quality but they do have a clear system they know how they're playing and we've seen how like important that has been in the tournament so far um so I reckon they might might peg it back to one all, but yeah, Kane scored the winner. In that, will that be an extra time or? No, ho- hopefully a bit before then, just for yeah, heartbreak. Um, one one Sweden on penalties. Jesus, <laughs> <laughs> I think England don't keep clean sheets clearly, and um, yeah, I think this is this is another one for spot kicks. Mm, wow, 
did not expect that negativity from you. <laughs> from Mr. England. Mr. England. Uh, prepared for the worst. Mr. Football's been coming home ever since like England qualified. <laughs> <laughs> Just do what ever your says. Ever since Gareth was put in charge, I saw the light. <laughs> Well, I think that we should bring this podcast to a close. Again, a reminder that we are available on iTunes, uh, subscribe, rate, review. If you like our content, you can follow us on Facebook. If you go and like our Real Sport Facebook page over there, um, we are available on Twitter at Real Sport Goals, which is our football content specifically. Instagram at Real Sport 101. And again, if you want to read any of the content that we, we put, we're putting out regularly for this World Cup, head over to www.realsport101.com. Thank you very much for listening.